Great to have John here. And uh, uh, for those that don't know John, John is somebody very worth getting to know. He's a legend and he has one of the best sense of humours I've ever, no pressure for this, but one of the best sense of humour I've ever come across. He's a, he's a legend. And today's um, story, in a sense, if you've been for any of the other Sundays, is a slightly different pace. Because we've heard some amazing, astonishing stories that have been very moving and very incredible about how God has been working in an individual's life through challenges or particular pressures they face. But this this morning, John's stories, if you like, is a slightly different one uh, because what we're actually kind of going to is the impact that what God has done in John's life and therefore what that looks like as he lives out his life. So, John, why don't you first of all tell us, you, you kind of grew up in a pretty normal home. What don't, is, what don't know about that. Yeah, what is normal? Yeah, I wouldn't say normal. <laughs> um, but you grew but up no, in a fairly yeah. comfortable, ple- happy house. Yeah, you, very much family. kind of, yeah. Middle class, suburban, uh, just West London, place called Maidenhead. Um, yeah, very kind of like run-of-the-mill average in some respects. Brilliant. In other respects, not so much. And I guess when you're growing up, you don't realise that the way you're being brought up is not the same as everyone else. We all have the ways we're brought up. Well, I think the best, I was just trying to think about the best story that I could get everybody to understand my kind of upbringing. So who here has played with Lego and created a Lego town in their lives? Anybody? Okay. So put your hands up if you have in your whole entire lives. Okay. So if you've done that, okay. Keep your hands up. Okay. Keep your hands up if you had elections and had ballot papers in your uh, Lego towns. There we are. <laughs> so that, that, that encapsulates the situation. So it's probably fair to say that you grew up in quite a politically active home. That's one way of putting it, yeah. And so therefore, when you leave home at around 18, you then suddenly, in a world where you suddenly have to kind of explore and question for yourself your own upbringing and whether those, some of those values, some of those things that you've been instilled it is for yourself as well. Why don't you tell us about that journey a bit? Yeah, I guess when I left 18, um, I kind of, I think it's that kind of like thing where people have like learnt things and you just see it as the norm rather than kind of like weird. And as my life has kind of progressed more and more and probably every single year, I kind of realised how weird my upbringing actually was in some respects on the front of it, you know, very nice uh, kind of middle class suburbia. But there's also one point, so my parents were very politically active, obviously it's kind of outlined, but when you've been on the, literally your family's picture has been put through every single door on one morning in the whole of your local town and also the town next door, you somehow kind of kind of feel as in that it's all a bit kind of not the norm and trying to wrestle with that. Plus also my, my family have all very kind of strong faith as well and kind of like just understanding how that all kind of like links together. And it was just, the norm it literally was it sounds really weird now thinking about it um but it was the norm this is what we did like once a year if there was an election on we would go to this person's house we'd sit there and i saw these people these friends of mine that i'd literally see whenever there was an election and there was a count etc i can tell you exactly who they are we used to play computer games till silly o'clock and uh, eat pizza so I, I loved it um but yeah so and then you kind of get into the big world where you kind of go actually what does this mean to me now I'm an adult how does this impact me within my life and how does how do I live my life out in a way that kind of reflects that 
Yeah. So lots of those values that you had uh, going around, particularly wanting to be engaged on lots of issues to do with social justice and so on, um, uh, very engaged in both your faith but also in, in politics as well. But there's one particular area where it really kind of, uh, alongside others, rubbed off and uh, that you've now got particularly strong convictions of that as a result of that journey where you've then had to think for yourself... Uh, has began to process what does this look like for me and that is caring for the world around us in other words caring for the environment creation care and so on tell us how you got to that stage um i guess it's it's kind of like linking everything together is kind of like it's been the kind of that was the first thing of thinking that actually so i, I did a i did a degree which is related uh, so I did development studies international development and so it's looking at how everything actually has like a knock-on effect of what we do it's easy to kind of see us see us as a separate entity but actually seeing that what we do has a massive impact across the world um, and i think the first point of call with that was thinking about love your neighbor and kind of thinking we easily see it as a neighbour, as in like your neighbour, rather than your neighbour, as in the global kind of side of things. Um, and it was still that kind of like, I didn't really have a kind of a theological understanding of it all. It was quite a basic kind of like, it just seemed like a good kind of thing that we should do as Christians, really. We should, you know, look after the world because we should look after, why, you know, why wouldn't we? And I think as I kind of like grew in faith and also um, as we talked when Tim and I were talking um, specific books, I was surprised by Hope by uh, Tom Wright. That was where it kind of gave me a far more of a kind of like a theological kind of understanding about how this all fits together and why we should be doing this as, as Christians. So... That's where that was the kind of like one of the big kind of. So you had to process of yourself and kind of draw up a deeper understanding of why it was good to care for the environment and so on. Exactly. So, so imagine, therefore, that there is somebody here today who would say they're a follower of Jesus and would say that environmental issues are not really crucial to our faith. Great. If you want to care for the world, do recycling. Brilliant. Isn't the world all just wasting away anyway? How would you counter that? What would you say to that person? Um, well, there's a million different ways that you can counter that. It depends on the individual, really, um, and where they're coming from. Because I can, but from my from my point of view, um, from the from the book, as I say, the kind of like the theological kind of understanding of it all uh, would be that God's in the business of renewing the world. That's what we. That's what happened with Jesus. That was the start of kind of like renewal of the world. And so therefore, from my understanding of reading it through, that's what we should be doing and helping that process. And that's the start of this process is we should be helping, you know, in the same way that we see, as you just talked about the prayer gathering, um, it's really important that people pray. I see that the whole thing is interlinked and it shouldn't be like, it's an, it's an easy thing for people to see, oh, that's a good thing that you're doing. That That's for you, rather than it being kind of integral to everything. Okay. And um, is there a key kind of passage of the Bible that has particularly impacted you? Yes. Great. Magically appear on the <laughs> there screen. You go. It's as if it was planned. Why don't you read that for us, John? Yeah. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And I think that we, when we've chatted about this, one of the things that really strikes me, uh, and even from the, to be honest, the framework that I grew up in and the faith that I grew up in, is that the, Paul here, the writer of this, clearly says, uh, in hope that the creation itself 
will be liberated. In other words, not just people, but the whole of the creation. Uh, and therefore, God's story in the business that he's in is way bigger than just little old me. Actually, God is global. Uh, and therefore, the creation itself is frustrated. And there is all sorts of groaning, which we can see, can't we? Everywhere we look, whenever we turn on the news, uh, there's groaning. There's, uh, there's uh, pain both in the fabric of the world, but also actually within, um, within people as well. And God therefore cares about that and is in the business of doing something. So if that's the theory, great. But what difference does that make to your life then? My, poor, my long, poor, suffering wife can uh, attest to all the things that I've uh, dragged her through over the years. Um, uh, but yeah, so um, trying to think, as we kind of talked about before, um, with my with my kind of upbringing, there was certain stuff which I just just recycling just did. Even I was thinking this when I was kind of preparing for all of this, thinking that even to this very day, you go into my parents' house and you just open up a cupboard and there'll just be a, like a washed up plastic things that my mum will just be like, "I'll use that for like whatever, who knows." Um, what she'll end up using for. Probably a crafting for the children at church will probably be the main thing she'll end up using it for. But yeah, so there's kind of like those embedded things, but slowly but surely over time, of there's little different bits and pieces which I've been challenged on. Um, and bizarrely, I decided to become vegetarian to start off with while I was doing the washing up, which is always a, like an odd thing to kind of do, but I guess your kind of mind kind of wanders and lots of different things have come to challenging me when I've gone running as well, which is a weird thing. So Sarah always used to be scared that I'd come back with some madcap scheme about what we're going to do and what we're going to do as a family um, from going kind of running and stuff. But there's just a, a huge wave of stuff. That I was, so, so as I said before, I became vegetarian, then became vegan um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, there's many other things I've done. Uh, we have uh, kind of like a green electricity and uh gas supplier it's kind of green um uh, but yeah from an electric point of view um i largely wear secondhand clothes and buy secondhand clothes um on top of that also we have solar panels on the top of our house um i largely try and cycle as much as i can but i'm kind of restricted by different sports injuries but um i try and use as much public transport as i can uh also have chickens we've had chickens for 10 years uh, which has caused lots of fun. Um, uh, trying to think what else. Uh, allotments. There's another one. I had an allotment for three or four years as well. Um, and you might be sat there going, how does the chickens and the allotment thing kind of work with environmental issues? Uh, so from that point of view, it's all about kind of food miles, as it were. So if you eat a lot of eggs or if you eat the vegetables, then obviously if you produce them um, just down the road, then you're not using as much energy to produce by you know, transporting things from the other side of the world, which is the next thing I need to work on. And that's also <laughs> the thing in terms of you said to me about flying as well, particularly ah, yes. in terms of that's had a big impact. Well, the last, couple, the last couple of years, we've managed to not fly for not kind of like <laughs> any organized reasons at all, really, mainly due to childcare issues. Um, not wanting to take them on planes. Um, but yeah, so from our point of view, we're kind of going through that process of kind of coming to peace with that idea of maybe never flying ever again, which is a bit weird from the point of view of, and it makes, and it kind of like, it's, the, it's not, a, in a way, it's a, not really a big thing to a certain extent, because we, you know, we've just been on a nice holiday to, uh, you know, to Norfolk for the week. So it doesn't really matter, but it's that experiencing. And I guess it's that preconceived ideas of what we're so used to within a culture and with a society, which is our norms. And then I kind of feel like that's what, as Christians, we can be different and distinct about yeah. because it's 
it was the norm for people to fly and it's the norm for Sarah and I to go flying. We went traveling, we went around the world in like six weeks or whatever to go to my cousin's wedding in New Zealand. So therefore that's, you know, was the norm then. Yeah. Whereas now the reality of kind of thinking that we can be something distinct and having our reasons why um, is, yeah, is an impact as well. It's one of the things I find inspiring about you, John, is that I think it, it, it's very easy for to think that with my faith, therefore, you know, I need to pray, good to read the Bible, all that, and it's good to care for the poor, it's good to tell people about Jesus, they're all good things, they're right, great. But actually, these are deliberate actions that you have taken because of your faith. They're not just things that you think is a nice idea to do, they're deliberate things that you're, you're working on, which I find quite inspiring. But that's, that's kind of personal, but therefore, don't you, if you're like me, look at the news, and you see Greta Thunberg and all that she's doing, the 16-year-old at the moment, doing some amazing stuff. And you look at it and you think, but that's too big. What, what impact can I have? Why, why, with all the issues around the globe, what would you say into those big kind of macro scale as opposed to the you having chickens? Well, um, I guess from, from my point of view, I went through a whole process um, through kind of doing my degree and stuff. So I've became very, very, which may, this might shock you, um, being fairly cynical about uh, things because of doing international development. Because if you do a development degree, you learn at basically how much we've pretty much messed up the world, um, especially being from this country. Um, we haven't done exactly covered ourselves in much glory, I don't think, historically speaking. Um, and so therefore, kind of like untangling all of that web is difficult. And I think I've been on a long journey, to be honest, I've been on a long journey to work through all of that. And and Sarah would say that, like, that slowly but surely over time, that I've become more and more uh, engaged in, in the bigger picture and thinking that actually, realistically, what I do makes a difference. And for me, it's interesting when you say about ins inspiring, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. Um, for me, I can't not do it. And I find it weird that other people don't do it. So like, I'm trying to think for examples, like I, again, can bring my wife into this. We end up having different conversations about different bits and pieces, um, about where we should be buying things from. Um, uh, there's a local, there's a national chain of, um, shops that I put kind of like words before not positive words shall we say okay. about their different shops <laughs> so um it's it's that thing of like I can't and not you do, do that because of your faith that's yeah. not just a sort of angsty political thing it's because of your faith no it's the whole entire thing is all wrapped up all together and that's yeah. why I started, and even I, I genuinely I find it bizarre that people can't put it all together and it's that whole kind of thing where people talk within church about like the church becoming political and I can't see how it can't not be political because from what I from my understanding of the Bible is Jesus was massively politicized like you know all he did was kind of like tear up the rule book basically and so therefore from my point of view and that's one thing which me and my sister are very very different people but we have very similar kind of like things kind of like our basics and kind of our understandings of everything values. and values are basically exactly the same whereas she's massively political very actively kind of political whereas i'm i'm more of the kind of like i can make a difference in the small things yeah so therefore and i can sleep at night okay that's the other thing great so as we come into land a little bit a couple of more final questions so imagine therefore you are prime minister heaven forbid you've got the rule well book to be now. fair at the moment yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you've got the rule book what one thing what would you do What's the thing that you would immediately try and do? 
public transport would be the main thing okay. would be for public transport to, to be free for everybody and more kind of like linked up and connected that would be my main my main thing because people have got to get to places yeah that would be my kind of first thing and also it's the thing that most people use most of the time um to get a to b whether it be through work or going to see people and that's one of the things which stops people using like using public transport is the fact that the public transport network isn't exactly brilliantly linked um especially within birmingham it's pretty good but if you want to get to the center of birmingham great if you want to get across birmingham it's not so good okay so that would be my, yeah. my first thing that so here we are as church okay uh, what would you therefore say to riverside as your church family about caring for the environment for those of Blimey. us for those of us who are not where you're at um uh, and not having chickens yet and all that sort of stuff what would you say to us i think it's a, it's a, for me it's a massive journey and it's the small steps that you can kind of like start on and where you can end up and god will take you on that journey with many things and it's just that willingness to be aware of stuff and thinking we all consume things we all buy things so therefore, how do we go about that? And that's what I think from my point of view is that you, a lot of the time, so for example, with all the other things that within kind of church life, you're asking somebody to do something more, whereas actually everybody's doing a lot of this stuff already. Everybody's transporting themselves somewhere. Everybody's buying things. It's always having that thought process in there going, well, what impact does that actually have on the world that we live in? Um, which means you end up just some of the time just buying nothing and sitting in a corner, rocking backwards and forwards. But, <laughs> you know, beyond that. Well, John, I want to say thank you because um, uh, having got to know you a bit and all of that, I, I do find your faith being put into action really inspiring in very practical ways. And it really resonated with me because um, uh, I, some of you may know the name of a guy called John Stott. John Stott was a uh, kind of quite well-known Christian leader in the 20th century. Um, he, was, he was in Time magazines, one of the world's most influential people and all that sort of stuff. And at the end of his life, having written over 50 books, he wrote this book called The Radical Disciple, in which as an aging man who was a giant in the Christian faith, um, basically his parting shot for what he thought the Western Christian world needed to do in the missing things about discipleship. And he's got eight different chapters, and some of them you, you wouldn't be surprised at, about sort of, you know, not conforming, being Christ-like, uh, how you view death and so on. But interestingly, he had a chapter on here in creation care because he's convinced, biblically, that actually it's one of those things that the church in the Western world has really dropped the ball on. And he says of those two verses that we looked at earlier... Uh, he says these words. Scripture tells us that the earth is the Lord's and also that the earth he's given to mankind. These statements complement rather than contradict each other, that the earth belongs to God and therefore to us by his delegation. This doesn't mean that he's handed it over us in such a way for us to do whatever we want with it but rather that he's given us the responsibility to preserve and develop the earth on his behalf. And therefore, in this chapter that he writes, he puts, says this quote from a guy called Chris Wright, uh, another biblical scholar. 
It seems quite inexplicable to me that there are some Christians who claim to love and worship God, to be disciples of Jesus, and yet have no concern for the earth that bears his stamp of ownership. They don't care about the abuse of the earth, and indeed, by their wasteful and overconsumptive lives, they contribute to it. I find that immensely challenging, and so I want to say, John, thank you for your honesty, and thank you for leading us a little bit, and just in your example with the chickens and all that you do.